Welcome to the New Age Sage Podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. Today's guest is Mike Dillard. He is a successful entrepreneur. We talk about how mold exposure almost killed him and the new agenda of those in power. This is a fascinating conversation. You're going to love it. Please like and subscribe. Thank you. Mike, welcome on the show, brother. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, researching your background a bit, um, it's familiar that you're, you were a pretty hard-headed entrepreneur mm. and, you know, seeing what you're posting and feeling energy, you seem more open and, and loving and, and kind and more focused on you know consciousness and that kind of stuff. What sparked that trans- transition for you? Long, dark night of the soul that lasted about four years. <laughs> so, uh, really got forced down that path. I was sitting at home one day, taking a break from work, playing some PUBG on the iPad and uh, felt a little click back here in the back of my head. And this was June, I think June or July 14th, 2018. And thought that was kind of an interesting sensation. Didn't hurt, but it was weird. And that night I couldn't fall asleep physically. Uh, and that continued for the next six or seven nights and days straight. So could not physically fall asleep for a single minute for, for six or seven days straight. And I started to feel my body shut down and felt like I was dying because I was. Um, freaked out, didn't know what was wrong, called my doctor. He put me on some Valium and Xanax, which I've never taken before. Rough. And um, that got me about 60 to 90 minutes of disassociated sleep. And then as soon as that wore off, so I would maybe take that at nine or 10 o'clock and I was up again by 11, 1130. Um, and it was just adrenaline just running through the body nonstop 24 seven. And that went on for, um, well over a year, uh, started to lose my, all of my abilities, uh, from that moment forward, couldn't think, couldn't work, could barely drive. Uh, started to get symptoms of Parkinson's, couldn't, couldn't write by hand anymore. Um, and it just started to get worse and worse and just devolve from there. Uh, what I realized a year later was the fact that the place I was living in, in downtown Austin, where this was taking place was infected with toxic mold. And I had no idea that I needed to worry about that never had issues with it in the past, but Looking back about six months before that, the entire building had flooded. It had a, a pool on the roof and massive flooding took place in Austin and it came down all the elevator shafts. And so the whole building screwed. Whole building flooded, which what I believe happened is, is you know, all the elevator kind of shafts uh, started growing mold and that got into the AC ducts and then it just started circulating in the building. You think everyone in that building is facing something? Uh, you know, it's hard to say because there's a gene that, makes you susceptible to mold and it's from an epigenetic standpoint that gene can get turned on or get turned off and it's responsible for for detoxing mycotoxins out of your bloodstream and i think uh you know for me i had a pretty hard hitting lifestyle you know leading up to that meaning racing cars on the weekend working hard on business uh during the week tons of caffeine in the morning alcohol to settle down at night and had that lifestyle for 10, 15 years. And when the mold starts to come into the system, I think my methylation pathways, my liver were already clogged. And once that gets fully clogged, then you stop, your body stops detoxing, it just breaks. 
And that's when it starts building up in the bloodstream. And mycotoxins are our neurotoxins. So it starts building up in the brain. And that's what caused the brain injury and, and all of the neurological stuff I was going through. So unfortunately, I stayed in that place for that first year because I didn't know what it was. Took a mycotoxin test. For a year, how many hours are you sleeping, sleeping at night? Maybe one. For a year? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. What, what saved my life was my friend gave me a THC pill. And I'd never gone down the, the cannabis route before. Uh, but he was going through chemotherapy and he's like, try this. This really helps me with my sleep. So I did. And that saved my life. Uh, I started taking THC orally and that would get me about three hours a night, four hours a night. And without that, I, I don't think I would have made it. Um, uh, I, ironically, if I had moved out and moved in with my parents or moved into a hospital, I would have been better off because I would have gotten out of that out of the, the yeah. environment. But um, that's what sent me down that path. It completely destroyed my identity because I couldn't do what I used to do. Couldn't hang out with my friends, couldn't eat what I used to eat, couldn't drink what I wanted to drink, couldn't work out, couldn't work on my business. Um, and it was just literally a, a shedding of, of every single part of my identity down to the bare bones of survival, basically. Um, and met a friend who told me to go take a mycotoxin test. Uh, one day I did. And that's when we found out it was mold. The test on a scale goes from zero to 50. Anything above five is toxic. And the test stopped at 50. And my result was 21,000. So that's how high the, the, the levels were in my bloodstream. Um, and then moved out of that. And during, I would say at about the six month mark, uh, I reached out to, to my friend, Aubrey Marcus. And I was like, Hey man, I'm really in trouble and I don't know what's going on. And he suggested, uh, that I, I try an MDMA session and put me in touch with a couple that facilitated that. And that was life-changing. Uh, that was the beginning of, of kind of my next chapter. And in that, in that moment, what specifically opened the door for that session? Um, you know, for me that, <clears throat> that first session was like seen through the matrix. Like I could see the truth behind so many different memories of my childhood. I went through a lot of bullying when I was in middle school, high school, and I could, I could see that from a different viewpoint. I could see it through compassion and empathy rather than anger and hurt. Um, same with, you know, my ex-wife and anything that I'd gone through that had pain associated with it, I could see it from a different perspective. And, and that just was an experience I've never had before. I've never done any psychedelics before. And it was just such a profound shift that I was like, I came out of it and I was like, you know, if the previous year, year plus of suffering was required to have that experience, then it was worth it. Um, but that led me to, uh, into ketamine. I did nine ketamine IVs, um, Wachuma, you know, psilocybin, all of the things, everything, everything pretty much except ayahuasca. I still haven't done ayahuasca. Um, but man, yeah, that was a, a two or three year period of just deep, deep inner work, uh, processing all the trauma that I had held in my system since childhood and just had a new level of empathy and appreciation and compassion for people who were going through their own health journey. Um, in the past that, that I didn't have and just, just for humanity in general. So, yeah. Do you think you needed to have that experience? 
Yeah, I did. Uh, I think if I hadn't had that and I would have continued on the same path, I would have been probably dead by now. That was, you know, what I mean, do you think you needed something that drastic? Do you think you needed something that drastic (coughs) to shake you up? I'm super fucking stubborn, man. (laughs) I look back on my, you know, my, my story was, was drug (coughs) drug addiction. I always think about, you know, did I really have to go that crazy and and almost die multiple times? Yeah. I think, yeah, I had to. Yeah. Like, like you, I was, so fucking stubborn that would never have changed my ways. Yeah. It's, you know, the, 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 the saying that someone shared with me a while ago is feather brick semi. So the world and the God will speak to you with a feather and kind of give you hints. You know, maybe you've got some adrenal fatigue, you're putting on some weight or something. Sleep's getting a little worse. If you don't listen to that, then you get hit with a brick. You have a medical challenge of some kind. And if you don't listen to that, then you get hit with a semi. And unfortunately, a lot of times if you get hit with a semi, you don't survive that. Uh, and luckily, luckily I survived my, my semi truck run in, but yeah, it had to be, I, I wouldn't have, you know, especially if you're, if you're drinking alcohol or, and I wasn't an alcoholic by any means, I would have, you know, two or three drinks, three or four nights a week. I don't, I don't have an addictive personality, thankfully, but, um, but it was a crutch used to suppress the pain and emotions that mm-hmm. I had, but I wasn't aware of that. Uh, for me, it was an introvert. It was just something to use a tool to use to socialize and, um, in hindsight, though, adrenaline, chasing adrenaline and and risk taking and alcohol were all just uh, really a reflection of an addiction to adrenaline I had since I was a little kid, which I was not aware of, um, which comes in handy if you want to be an entrepreneur. You know, you're OK with taking risks and that kind of thing. But I think when you have that kind of hard lifestyle around the age of 40, the body's physical capacity to handle those habits comes to an end and it starts to manifest in all kinds of different, different health symptoms. Um, and that was certainly the case for me. And if, again, if I hadn't gone through that, would have kept drinking, would have kept eating. I ate okay, but I, I indulged and, um, and kept having a really high stress lifestyle and it probably would have had a heart attack on the racetrack, Mm -hmm. you know, one day it's kind of how I saw it happening. What exactly shifted about your identity the most? Like, if you take old you and you right now, were the values that changed? Like, what what got you to where you are now internally? Uh, there was, a, I think, one or two. One of the biggest ones was I lost during this period. I lost my ability to work, so I lost my income and I lost my savings. So I went from making millions of dollars a year over the course of about a three year span to having five hundred bucks in my bank account. Um, and going from an identity of 20 years as a self-made millionaire and a successful entrepreneur to being completely broke, uh, I didn't realize my level of self-worth was tied to the amount of money I made, but it was. And at that point, I started to get suicidal. Uh, I didn't know what kind of value I had to offer the world. I didn't know what I was going to do for a living anymore because at this point, I still wasn't recovered. I still wasn't able to work. And... Uh, yeah, that was a really dark, that was a really dark time. But after a few months, uh, I realized my friends are still my friends. We, we still have good conversations. Um, family's still my family. The only thing that, that had changed was the amount of money in, in the bank account. And, uh, that was okay. And so I got to become aware of that identity and then shed that and let that go. And that was completely unexpected, but, uh, fantastic because after that after going through that you know for me as long as my family and my friends were not bleeding out in front of me life is good that was where the the bar went from having to have all of the stuff to everybody's live cool you know we're good 
how do you how do you go about shifting your motivation? Because <clears throat> I understand as an entrepreneur, right? That's the driving force. I want to make more money than anyone, so I can prove something. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. that's the fuel. That's the coffee, and yeah, it's so easy yeah. to operate off of that. So yeah. how did you shift that? And have you shifted that? And have you found a new fuel source to sh- yeah. focus on to, yeah, for, for your sure. career? Yeah, that was definitely mine growing up. You know, prove that I was good enough. Um, but what I you know, looking back, I would label that as a really toxic fuel. Yeah. Um, and now it's just to just to have a good quality of life, family-wise and kids-wise, um, and just do what I love. And I don't, in the past, it was like, okay, get to a million dollars. Okay, then get to $10 million, then get to 100 million bucks. I don't give a shit about any of that anymore. Um, you know, for me, it's make enough money to do the things we want to do in life and live comfortably and not be stressed and enjoy what it is that we're doing in the process. And that's my benchmark, you know, today. What would you say to entrepreneurs who are in that space where they can recognize in some way they're just feeding off their, their ego and negative energies and that they are, are hungry just for money and, and clout and power, but they see it and they don't feel like it's good. What do you, what do you tell them to, to help that and make them see that there's another way to have success and motivation? I don't think you can make someone in that state see something different. Because their identity is tied up in that. It is their fuel and their fire. And one thing that I know is pretty common with entrepreneurs who are in that state is they're scared if they get rid of that fuel, even though they know it's toxic, that they're going to lose their motivation. And the thing that they've built is going to come crashing down. Um, those were, I had similar thoughts. And what I would say now is it doesn't go away at all the fuel just changes and it gets a lot cleaner and healthier. Um, and the fact that as you start to clear out all of your shadow, your darkness, your trauma, your whatever, you become infinitely more effective as an entrepreneur. You can handle your culture better, right? You can talk to your employees in a, in a healthier way. It just becomes a much more you become much more effective as an entrepreneur. There's going to be a gap of uh, probably one to three years where you're going through a transition, maybe not even that long. But man, afterwards, if I wanted to get to a place where I wanted to build a really big business today, or if our business started to take off and we wanted to open an office and hire dozens of employees, I would be an infinitely better uh, leader today than I would have been back then for sure. And that's an option for me uh, if I wanted to do it, but I'm 46 now and um, I don't really want to put myself through that kind of stress at this point. So yeah, it's just not, not needed. How did you clear that trigger? Cause it's like the logical piece, but also the piece of like internally feeling like you can only add value or be worthy of love and, and admiration if you have money and that trigger to go make that. How did you get rid of the actual internal sensations to, to drive? Because that's the hard part. MDMA. Okay. <laughs> just to be honest with yeah. you. Um, how, give me, give me the process of how, how, how many times you do it. Well, give me the exact details of how it got you to clear that, that trauma. Um, you know, I, I've probably done a dozen MDMA sessions over the past five years now, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, maybe 15, but the majority of it, I think 80% of whatever you're going to process, you can do in five sessions. Um, and you know, having, having people to talk to and integrate with afterward is critically important, especially if you can talk to someone like myself, who's gone through that identity shift of going from a hard charging entrepreneur to, to someone who's a, a bit more balanced. Um, but man, that's, it's, everybody's going to be different. You're, you're going to have your same stuff, but it just comes down to using 
you know, for me using it as a tool to go access the stuff that's been driving you, that's toxic, processing that. And then once it's out of your system, it's out of your system. And it's, it's like dropping a hundred pounds of weight that you, you were climbing the mountain with that you weren't aware of. And you can just go that much faster. It's truly out of your system. You feel that that part of you is, is gone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, you know, it's been, it's been several years for me. Yeah, Cause know, I see so. a lot of advice on, online from, you know, performance coaches. They'll say, you know, channel your shadow into, into work like that, that anger, that, that yeah. fear, all that stuff channel it, but you can, but it's like, how effective is that? Like it isn't, it's well, so here, so here's in terms the, of internally of like how it affects your internal system. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, the tools that we have now over the last five years were not available yeah. to that generation before the information, the conversations being had, the support network and, and, and the medicines, they were not a part of, uh, that our lexicon until 60 months ago. And so in the past that, you know, for me, it was, that was the correct path. It was either use success as revenge or punish myself out of self-hatred, right? Um, those were kind of the two options and I chose success, which I would say is the healthier option out of those two. A lot of people don't choose that and they go down the, the self-hatred path into drugs or alcohol or, you know, uh, abusing other people or whatever it may be. Um, so it, it was the, the best option out of, out of the, not the best, but, um, but today it doesn't need to be. There's a third option, which is to heal that part. Um, and we, we now have the tools to do that. So, yeah, you were telling me earlier that you recently got married. Was, was that, do you think the old you could attract to that, that kind of love or, or do you no. think that, that journey for you no, got you to, to be able to love properly? Yeah. Uh, I would not have been able to, um, without having gone through this process. So this was the hardest three to four years of my life and the best three to four years of my life. I would not wish what I went through upon anyone. Um, and yet, uh, it was a crucible that allowed me to become a, a better man in every category, specifically uh, as well as a partner as well. Um, you know, in the past, I wouldn't know how to handle conflict uh, as, as a kind of an introvert. Just It would just shut me down. I wouldn't know how to handle it. Wouldn't know how to have intimate conversations. Those would be too uncomfortable. Wouldn't know how to be vulnerable, too uncomfortable. Um, and so relationships would stay at a surface level. They'd they were fine, but they would only get to a certain level of depth. Um, and going through again, this, this kind of transformation process really opened that up and allowed me to, to kind of show up full from day one and support Michelle through her process. Cause I would say within two or three months of us dating, she did her first ceremony and she'd never done anything like that before and dove in with two feet and she started over the next year and a half going through her transformation and working through her shadows. Um, and so today we have an incredible relationship that would certainly not be possible without having gone through that process. So are you under the impression that if most of you know the billionaires and, and successful people creating the system took more psychedelics, things would be a little different. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, it's not going to be the case for everybody. I, I've heard from people who have more knowledge about this and experience than I do. You know, it doesn't necessarily help with narcissism uh, in most cases. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the people in power struggle with narcissism. Um, but overall, yes, because I think 
the trap for for people who are who are after powers. They're coming from a wounded place as well. We chose entrepreneurship. They chose political political power, right? But uh, I think there's a similar wounding that's taking place there. And I'd say a good portion of them could be healed, learn compassion, learn empathy, learn self-love, become infinitely better leaders. Uh, you know, I, I wish that was a requirement to run for political office. Uh, I think that'd be amazing. But yeah. yeah the problem with the, those people, as you're, you keep pointing to, is that they, they can't get out of it. It's truly unconscious. They have, they have no idea. They're just stuck in this motivation system to get more power and, and more domination that really have no idea about it and just keep perpetuating the same cycle with no no feedback i think what's happened over the last 50 years here at least here in the u.s is that the the value system that was in place let's say around world war ii which was in the military and and i would say for the most part in political office as well you know congress senate uh presidency to some degree uh, there were certain values that were built around integrity and honor and, and wanting to build America into the best, strongest country in the world. And those have devolved, um, you know, as you, as you go through and society goes through excess, excess power, excess, you know, everything, then those values dissipate. And that's what we're seeing now, unfortunately, where it's not honor and integrity anymore. It's, uh, you know, I see everything built around greed uh, deception, backstabbing, uh, you know, lying, stealing, get, get whatever you can at any cost, no morality anymore, right? No values. And how do you come back from that? That's, that's the hard part. It's, it's like once a power structure and the people in it devolve into those kinds of values, can it come back from that? I don't know if it can without the slate getting wiped clean. Like, let's say if, you know, a war nuclear bomb in Washington goes off and like humbles everybody and wipes, wipes that crap off the face of the planet. I don't know if it can come back because you look at what's happening with Biden and Hunter, right? Like, uh, whatever, whatever Biden went through from his father turned him into the man that he is today, which I'm not a fan of that got passed down and Hunter got exaggerated even more the stuff that he's done. A person like Hunter's, you know, if he ever had children, it's just not, you're not going to get back to that place of, of integrity. Um, so that's, I think that's the challenge we have right now. How do you think we can go about that? And so I know it's a pipe dream, but to start, you know, influencing people of, of power or kind of shifting the consciousness and, and vibration of what we're going through, like what can we start doing as, as a humanity to start maybe shifting that? Yeah. I mean, that, that war and we're seeing, win. I think we're seeing a great, shift now uh specifically i'm going to just say in the last 12 2023 now that people the the lies around covid have been coming out um people are the people who trusted the government are now like oh they finally see kind of what we saw to begin with uh so the great awakening if you will is underway and that's the the cool part about nature is the equal and opposite reaction so as bad as things got we're going to have an equal and opposite reaction the other way from an awakening standpoint. Um, and so I think the the cultural shifts at the the citizenry level, average person level, are, are taking place now. We have these new tools in the form of psychedelics to heal the wounds that have been caused. And so that's incredible. Um, and I think that will start to, to move up over the course of decades, you know, back potentially up into power. The one thing about it that is dependent upon is integrity in the voting system. 
uh, that was lost in 2020. Um, I kind of called that, I saw that coming a mile away. Um, so there's no voting, there's no integrity in the voting system anymore. Voting at this point, it's just a show. Um, and without that, then there is no chance for change because all the power was with the people as long as our vote counted and we could make changes, vote bad people out, good people in. If that's not there, then, uh, then the country's lost at that point until it is put in. And I don't know if that's going to happen at this point. So yeah, how do you, you seem to very see all the stuff that's scary with, with kind of stoicism and calmness. So with your ability to see kind of the agenda and what's happening, how do you lose fear? Right. Cause I'm, I'm just saying I've been researching stuff for a while. I saw COVID before it happened, mm-hmm. you know, never got vaccinated. Thank God. <clears throat> thank God. Um, you know, I see all the stuff going to happen now, global warming, all that, all that bullshit. How do you see all this, these agendas happening and, and kind of stay in that, in that center? Uh, I don't think diving into fear helps yeah. in any way. Um, you know, it's like if you see, if you're on the train tracks and see a train coming at you, you don't freeze in fear and stay stuck on the tracks. You're like, oh, cool, train's coming and you, you get off of them, right? So, does it help? Uh, no, it, it just, it, it doesn't. It is what it is. And I think of it, you know, I guess a bigger part of this is, um, you know, the last four years were very much a spiritual awakening for me as well. And before that, I was very pragmatic, very logical, um, believed in God and was not practicing any kind of spiritual practice in, in any you know shape or form. But having the experiences I've had since then, that's become a very big part of my life. And I very much believe that you know, we, we are infinite beings just in kind of a human shell having an experience right now. And that allows me to look at this uh, from more of a perspective of curiosity rather than fear, you know, like, oh shit, we're all going to die. Yeah, we are. And, and who cares? We'll, we'll be back. Um, so now it's more of a game and an exploration and a viewpoint of curiosity. It's like, huh, what kind of impact can we make? And I look at life now from from a game perspective and the personal develop, development of and growth of my soul more so than anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've I've leveled up over the last four years in, in these ways. Now where's the next way that I can push forward the evolution of my own personal soul? And how far can I can I take that during this lifetime? That's kind of my goal now. And when that's the goal, then what's happening around you in the world is like if nothing else, it's an opportunity, uh, you know, for your growth. And so, um, yeah. Uh, touching upon a, a point you made that the kind of external things can cause internal awakenings, like COVID actually caused my spiritual awakening. Oh, that cool. Just like kind of seeing in the early stages, like, holy shit, everyone, everyone's lying to me. All mm-hmm. the news is lying to me. Everyone is, is stuck in a matrix and believing all this bullshit. What, that what convinced me- you that it was a deception? Um, I just started intuitive, man. I just, okay. I just felt it. Okay. it. And my mom is, is, uh, she was, she's no longer alive, but my mom is, uh, very intuitive. She has a kind of like yeah. very sensitive soul. And her and I were, we were in Hawaii in, in a house when this all happened. We kind of went there when this happened. Yeah. Both were sitting there just feeling like this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. There's something intuitive in, in our bodies where something doesn't feel right. And then, you know, with my background in, in education, all that stuff, I just started researching mm. for a couple of days. And I was like, holy shit, this is, this is just a complete you know, pandemic lie. Yeah. And, but then that made me kind of realize that 
in some way it kind of reflected back to me how I've been lying to myself. Mm. Like what, what deceptions have I been telling myself about my identity and my life? And at that time I was at Ivy League College. I was in that system and I was like, this is all fucking bullshit. What mm. the hell is this a scam? And I started to think about my life, finance, all that stuff. I was like, this is a scam. So I just, it made me see that everything I prioritized but power on was just an illusion yeah. and, and not true in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What, what, um, did that kind of spark something in, in you too? And during that time, like some internal awakening during, during COVID or was it, was it, was it part of a spark it? Uh, it's, a know, common, it's, it's a common thread for a lot of people I see. Uh, not really. It's yeah. interesting. I've had the feeling that this period in history was going to happen since oh, I was wow. about 12 or 13. No way. Yeah. I didn't know what 12, it was. 12, 13. How did you have that realization at 12, 13? I had no idea. <laughs> uh, I just knew that around that age, I was like, there's going to be a massive shift at some point in the future where the fate of the world is going to kind of come up for, come up for, for battle, if you will. Um, and so I've always kind of had that in the back of my mind and I thought 2008 was going to be the beginning of it. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, it turned out to be, uh, a decade later, uh, with COVID. And, and this is certainly that, that period in history for sure. And, um, I think COVID was just kind of act one. And I think between now and 2030, it's gonna, we're going to have another, at least one, if not two more significant, significant disruptions that will make COVID look like a, a, a warm up. Um, what do you think that is? What do you, what do you feel that it could be? Um, you know, ultimately, you ultimately the, the people in power and their archetype want complete control of, of every everything. Sci-fi, every sci-fi movie, that's the plot. People yeah. in power wanting complete control and vision over everything in your life. That's yeah. the plot of every sci-fi movie yeah. we're living in now. Yeah. And it's, no and privacy. it's you know, you, you got to ask why, why does that, why does that happen? Right. Why did that happen with Rome and, you know, all these other, uh, you know, civilizations, um, that have gotten to that point. I think, I think there's a dynamic that is within our nature that is programmed to push, push, push to an excess until it breaks. And then it swings back into, uh, you know, a different form of balance. But I think it's going to be, uh, in the form of another pandemic that will actually be deadly this time. Um, if you, if you think about it, that, that is, the most logical, most effective way to take control of a population because you can trade kill of their, their movement. You can lock them down. You can take control of their communication. Um, fear. And Mass fear. The more fear, the less. Yeah, 100%. You can you can plot people against each other like we saw the, the, the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers. Well, now, you know, now this time, if, if it actually truly is deadly, let's say it is a 30, 40% death rate from something, if people like you or I were to come out and and have an anti-vax stance and people are truly dying, we will be silenced immediately. We, Even, were, we were silenced for 0.000 something percent. Well, I mean, disease. I mean like, oh, like truly okay. silent, thrown in jail, like, oh, okay. like, you know, that kind of deal because, uh, you know, COVID, a, f- a few people were affected by it. You know, people died from it. In this case, everybody's going to know somebody who died. Everybody's going to be affected by it, right? Everybody's going to have a family member that would be would would pass from that, and so the level of trauma, grief, anger, hurt, outrage uh, around that will be so high. The level of patience for anyone who's not going all in on trying to prevent it from spreading will just be wiped out. Um, what do you think is? going on and okay, I don't know who the group they is but in, in, in their minds mm-hmm. that they could sit down and think okay you know even 
the every war, World War One, all that kind of stuff was a powerful families, you know, trying to gain power back of their own system. But with the understanding of how things are going, how can you picture or feel a group of humans wanting to kill thirty percent of the world just for their own power? Like, how do you feel that happens? Uh, is, it, is it demonic? Is it purely trauma? Is it just? I think it's both. I think it's. Uh, I absolutely think this is. A, there's a spiritual warfare component of this, without a doubt. Um, and we see that we see that rising over the last you know de- couple of decades here in the United States with uh, the the fall in morality and um, you know abortion and open relationships and I don't have any judgment around any of that stuff I think everybody should have autonomy over their own life and their own decisions but the fact that it's being pushed upon the entire s- society um, from a values perspective is different, right? Um, where it's being shoved in the faces, where it's being taught to the children and we're, we're sexualizing the children now in schools and everywhere else. It's like anything moral and good is being broken down and destroyed and everything degenerate is being put on a pedestal. And so that I think is certainly the work of, of demonic influence. Um, from the other piece, uh, I think it's, I think it's, you know, psychopathy, basically, um, sociopathy, soci- sociopath and, and psychopaths. And at some point in the, in the past couple of decades, shame became the number one tool used for control through the form of blackmail, right? So uh, this goes back to like skull and bones at, at Yale and uh, where these secret group organizations, even at the college level, they would have ceremonies where people would do really nasty, illegal shit. Uh, that would be on camera. And then that would be how they were basically bound together because they all had the same dark secret that could never get out. Um, and if you were in that club, you got all the perks. If you weren't, you weren't in it. But at the end of the day, that evidence was used to control those people. And uh, unfortunately, now I think pedophilia has become the tool of choice for blackmail. And as that started to spread over the last couple of decades, uh, it became normalized within that circle, within the circle of politics and power. Um, and now it's become so normalized that they're basically attempting to normalize it throughout all of society so that they're no longer having to hide it. They don't have to feel the shame or the guilt around it. And it's just like, oh no, this is just fine to do. Um, And uh, I, yeah, um, I think it's all going to come to a head at some point. Um, So. Yeah, I agree with what you're you're saying on that morality piece. Like for me, it's tricky because I am, I am left-leaning on on many social issues with like, you know, gay marriage, all that kind of stuff. But I see the, as you said, when, that can be true, but at the same time, like how, how can you be teaching kids about transgenders? How can you be teaching kids about? I don't know if it's I, okay. I, it's okay. It's okay to change your sex at, at a young age. Just for me, it's just like that's me when I start getting like, it's just something I see that kind of stuff and I feel this. As you said, it's like this kind of demonic influence in that in that field. It just doesn't doesn't yeah. sit well with me. I mean, for me, I have no judgment around gay people whatsoever. I think for the most part, people are born that way, and and um, and it's like awesome, man. I I think, uh, it's all about pursuing, you know, love and belonging and understanding and, 
you know, everything else that is just a, a part of natural life. The, the, the challenge with it now is that they're, they're using it to influence and corrupt people who are not necessarily born that way naturally. Right. Um, kids in school are feeling pressured to act and behave and view the world in a certain way that they normally wouldn't, um, because it's literally being taught to them and shoved down their throat and it's corrupting them. And that, that is egregious to me. That's demonic to me. Um, I think everybody should be encouraged to be their full self authentically without manipulation. Um, so I saw it even before this all started, I was in high school six years ago and this is before it got crazy. And I saw it first had happened where like two grades alone, this is 15 year olds and sophomores and they were all strange kids. You know, I say with love, but they're pretty autistic. Mm. And there was a group of them, like seven or eight, <clears throat> Overnight, they all became trans. They all became oh. gender neutral. And it was like we were pushed to, you know, accept and love it, which is okay in some ways. But it's the first time I saw, like, there's there's something going on here in, in the sense that th- how did they get there? Someone must have been talking to them in, in, in some way. Um, it's like this, this – people think it's a solution to the permanent pain. Yeah. You know, if I, if I take this route, I'm confused as a kid. Then, it, then it's okay. Yeah. And if we accept that, then they can end up, you know, changing something about themselves permanently. It's, it's that a tricky should one. not be. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't vote or go to war until you're 18 or drink till you're 21, you should not be able to alter your body permanently in any form or fashion. Until but the fact that that's like, can be controversial to me is what's crazy right now. Like yeah. it just, it's this, again, I think it's just this political bullshit that, you know, if you're part of the left, then you have to automatically believe all these things, right? How can your stance on, on, uh, yeah. on abortion or vaccines have anything yeah. to do with, Ukraine war or, you know, or, or, or I think transgender uh, stuff. But just to me, I see that. I understand it, but just like, well, it's just fucking insane. I think, I think there's without a doubt, psychological warfare being perpetrated upon society as a whole. And, uh, and unfortunately, if you watch those sources of media and information, then you start to get brainwashed into these values and, and different beliefs and thoughts that lead to, you know, some pretty, pretty rough parts of life. Um, you know, that's how I see it. It's like, what is the information you're consuming and that you're exposing yourself to? And if you expose yourself to one group, let's just say conservative values, you're pretty healthy individual at this point, right? If, if it's on, on the other side, then you're kind of falling into a form of mental illness. Uh, unfortunately, um, and then, you know, there's the pharmaceuticals that are being pushed on top of that. I, I don't remember the stat, but I, I knew it blew me away. The number of people who are on an antidepressant right now and SSRI number of the percentage of adults, like it was ridiculously high here in the United States. And so, uh, unfortunately I think we're kind of almost in a blender of, of influence um, between information and the media and, and, you know, everybody's got a phone in front of their face the whole day, just being inundated with, with all of these things constantly. I don't think the human body or brain was really designed for that. Um, and I think it's, it's starting to break for a lot of people. So how are you protecting your kids? How are you, it's mostly a tough thing, man. That's what I think about now. I and mean, I want to have a lot of kids in the next couple of years. Yeah, good. I, I just think about like, I want to do it no matter what, but just like, fuck, how do I protect them from all this shit? Hey there, I'm going to give you a break 
to digest all of this amazing information. And in this break, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast. Thank you. We talked to him about it. Uh, so that's the number one thing is we have open conversations around everything that's happening in the world. We, we still shelter and protect them from a lot. Cause if, if we told them what was actually happening, you know, they're 12, 11, 11 or 12 years old, their brains can't process that. And that would traumatize them, right? If they knew what, what was actually happening. But when it comes up, we have conversations around it. We don't let them get on TikTok. Um, you know, they have phones and they can use certain apps like YouTube and, uh, things like that, but they're not on Instagram. They're not on TikTok. Um, and so we do our best to, to shelter them in that way, but we watch their behavior and what they're talking about with their friends. And, and if there's something that is concerning, we, we have discussions about it, but, uh, you know, Michelle and I, if, and when we ever have a disagreement of some kind, we usually work that out and communicate that in front of the kids. So we're teaching them how to have healthy communication and kind of what that looks like. And then from a values perspective, uh, you know, we teach them about healthy food and healthy water. And, and so that's it. We just kind of live, we live that life and, and we educate them on why we live that life and why we don't choose another path. And, uh, without scaring them, um, without, you know, without doing that. So good on you. Cause I think of my, if I had the same child I had back when I was a kid, I would fuck. I had no guidance. Like mm-hmm. I was just, I was watching whatever I wanted and I was like six, seven, you know, yeah. <clears throat> like no influence at all. Mm-hmm. Watched whatever my TV had. I was looking at all kinds of shit at a young age. Think about how the fuck that would affect me now with all the, all the stuff we're going through now. How's it not, how do you not get afraid or, or nervous in the sense that I could just take one wrong person, one wrong friend, show them the video, one, you know, bad teacher, one, one bad person. How do you like not let that constantly overwhelm you? That takes one person to kind of corrupt your kid. Um, I think if your kid trusts you, hmm. then which, which ours do, thankfully they bring that stuff up. Hey, this happened at school or this person said this, or this teacher said this, or, you know, um, then they bring it up and we get an opportunity to give feedback rather than them being exposed to it and being afraid to bring it up to us. Then that's when you run into issues. So it really is just about having a two way communication channel. So you can understand how their brain is working and what they're thinking about, what they're being exposed to. And then, you have an opportunity as a parent to give feedback on that. Um, and then again, taking control and having boundaries around what they are exposed to, to the extent that you can through what apps can they use? How long can they be online? Those types of things. Um, yeah. Like, uh, you know, the kids, we moved out to the country, you know, the hill country. So it's a whole different set of values out there. You know, we just had a big 4th of July parade for the whole town is out and, and, uh, 4th of July rodeo. And it's all about the star spangled banner and the American flag and, you know, good, wholesome American values and the schools that they're at, um, you know, the other kids and families feel the same way, which is why we're there. Um, and so we, a year and a half ago changed our environment. You know, we used to live, live in Austin and we moved out an hour, an hour outside of town now to a a small town of a couple thousand people. And, you know, on a, a property where we grow our own food and, uh, spend a lot of time outdoors. And, um, yeah, so we removed them from that environment to the extent that we could. It's one of the playbooks, I think for those in power is that 
if you have, you know, mostly absent parents or working all the time, five jobs with kids, who raises the kids? Yeah. TikTok, the public yeah, schools. 100%. And they just Man, I got on TikTok. Download all this informa- all this information. Like I that. got on TikTok like nine months ago. Um, just to from a from a it's like, okay, from a business perspective, <clears throat> I can't really ignore this anymore. I'm gonna get on it. I gotta tell you, within forty eight hours, the stuff that was coming in on my feed that the algorithm was throwing me. Um I think you know, it's fascinating because you scroll through it and the algorithm doesn't have any information on you. So I saw a lot of everything, but then you see something that catches your eye because it's so outlandish and like, you're like, okay, I got to, what is this about? And you watch that and then it feeds you more of that. And then all of a sudden you're seeing four more of them and you're like, this is, it's like watching a car crash. It's hard to look away, but you're just disgusted by it. And at the same time you can't. And then all of a sudden my feed within 48 hours was filled with the most degenerate stuff I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, Holy crap. If this is what kids and just even adults are being fed 24 seven through this app right now, no wonder America looks the way that it does. And we're having the problems that we're having. No wonder. Um, so I, I deleted the app after that. Haven't touched it since. Like yeah, what I realized is that our own consciousness is what we give our consciousness to like yeah. the energy of, yeah. if I spend, you know, six hours a day on TikTok, my consciousness becomes TikTok. Yeah. I've been very aware of that. Thankfully, at a young age, whatever I give focus to will create my, my mental space. Yeah. And it was, it was not, man, the values that they was promoting was not, it, it was, oh, this is how you destroy society from the inside out. You promote, you promote this stuff. I was like, yeah, I don't think we, people realize how much kids are on it. I was, I, I get this to my, my younger cousins. Yeah. I checked my younger cousin's phone. She's like a, a 12, 13 year old yeah. nice girl. Nine hours a day on TikTok. Wow. And I was like, is this only you? No. Most of my friends are like this. And we're all sending each other videos. Well, yeah. videos. Look at it. It's all, you know, women yeah. twerking on cars and like, you yeah. know, leftist agenda stuff. I'm just like, yeah. what the hell? You can't 100%. make this shit up. Just- <laughs> 100%. Delete that shit off your kid's phone, man, or, or you're going to get get what you deserve, unfortunately. So, so what were some of your hopeful, let's get realistic and a little dark. What are ways you see? <laughs> hope out of this right now you know where's where does hope lie with all this new world order agenda stuff where we can kind of rely Um, on you know i used to i used to i used to ask myself the same thing and it really comes back down to the fact that if we want to have a radically better society then we have to go through this pain um it is necessary for the pain or let's say the darkness to show itself and for the pain to get to a point that it's so bad that it pushes society in a different way and it causes that again equal and opposite reaction if not you know it's kind of it's kind of cool to just cruise on cruise control like we have for the last few decades but there's no real growth there for anybody there's no real evolution there and if we're destined to evolve as a species and ideally become become better then it's going to take a massive massive challenge to 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 push us into that next level of evolution. And so that's how I look at it now. It's, it's like, cool. The, the, the bigger the challenge is and the harder and more painful it is means the better and bigger, you know, the swing is going to be in the opposite direction afterwards. Yeah, so. I kind of see it that, you know, if we are, I think our internal journeys represent the collective in some way that for you to get to where you are now, you had to experience that darkness. You had right. to experience that pain. Yeah, 100%. You could not have changed yourself. You didn't feel that, that angst. It's the yeah. same way societally, you know, as you yeah. said, like we have to, I mean, that's the hope in this fucked up way that like the, the worse things get, the more that we can recognize we can't live this way. Yeah. I, it's unfortunate. Uh, it's unfortunate and it's going to be painful. And yet it is necessary if we want to, you know, it's a spiral of growth, right? You go up and then 
up two steps forward and one step back. And a step back is going to be super painful. But after that, we can ideally take two steps forward. Do you feel like those in power right now are the ones that are in charge of all this stuff are losing the war? Because I feel like whenever I can just catch it so quickly. I think if I can do this, you know, I talk to friends who think like me. We can, people were aware of catching this shit so fast. Like a new story they see, like, you know, submarine bullshit. They can just kind of see this stuff and be like, that's fucking bullshit. Well, again, it's becoming, it's, it's becoming, we're getting trained to recognize it better, right? Because they're getting more and more outrageous in what they're doing. You know, the, the, the next time a pandemic comes, nobody trusts anything, any of these. Well, I don't say nobody. Most of us who are paying attention don't trust anything that comes out of these people's mouths at all anymore, right? So they're losing power in one degree. And yet the other side of society that is still paying attention to them and giving credibility believes them wholeheartedly, unfortunately. The good news is there's more and more people coming over to this side of the fence who are waking up because now they're being harmed. They're having relatives die from the getting jabbed, right? Uh, family members. And it's it's really waking a lot of people up. And so, again, that's the flip side from the pain. Um, right now, the, the interesting part is going to be to see how does technology play a role in this next chapter, right? We have CBDCs rolling out, which is going to be programmable money, which is money that they are going to control. Um, you know, the guy, a guy from the UN was talking about it. I saw a video clip of him this morning. He's got the world economic forum logo behind him. And, um, he's talking about the benefits of programmable money, how they'll be able to determine what you buy and what you don't. Oh, you want to go buy a gun and ammunition at this store? No, I can't spend this currency there. It doesn't work at that store. Can't buy that type of good anymore. Um, you want organic food? No, sorry. It's only stuff from, you know, this company now. And so, that's uh, that's an interesting piece. The other interesting piece is from an AI perspective. Um, AI is going to have more and more control over every aspect of society. And what are the values and morals that are taught to the AI system, right? And then from a social credit score perspective, how's that going to be able to manipulate society like it does in China right now? So we've still got some big, big challenges ahead of us. Um, I don't know how all of that's going to play out, but it is going to get i think society to a point where it causes a head it causes a battle do you feel like we're going to live two different realities well i say that is that you know i try and lead with uh i try and pride myself and be able to talk to anyone over anything with love and not ever get argumentative but with people who who's tough for me who just completely trust everything the mainstream media says like a new york times kind of person who just trust that way of thinking and they're very convinced on it they're living complete different, not in my I, planet. I just don't talk. I just, I can't even like, I try and I'll, I'll just leave with love. They're human being, but I can't like, what I'm saying that is that yeah. they're living a complete different experience of reality. Yeah. I feel like, you know, let's say that that's the New York city kind of where I'm from, the yeah. New York city way of thinking we're in Texas. It's two different realities. You ever yeah. feel like it's going to be this massive split or that it'll be unified eventually. We're all kind of fucked. Cause I think it's like, how, how does that kind of shit? How, how will that, a lot of that stuff happen in Texas? I just, well, I, I, I yeah, I, I do think it'll, I, I think it'll lead to a head. Right, uh, north and north and south during the Civil War over slavery, I think it's going to lead to the same scenario for that. Um, It'll be conservative versus liberal. You think that's the war we're fighting? Even though I don't, I yeah, I, I hate to use those labels. Same here, but it just but feels that way, feels that way. They're easy labels to use because they're they're easy for everybody to understand where we're coming from. But but I think um, yeah, I mean it just comes down to, to values, right? What are, what are the values that part of society wants to uphold and live with and, and where the other set of values that the other part of society wants. And, and it could certainly fracture, um, based on state 
as a, is already doing now. People are migrating to the states where they feel most at home, right? A lot of people move to Texas and Florida because of that and, and continue to do so. Um, but it's, yeah, it's unprecedented, man. So I wish I had the answers, but that goes back to the, the, the faith and spirituality component for me, which is, um, I just look at it as a game and I'm not sitting here like, Oh my God, the fate of the world is in our hands and we have to, we have to win this or do whatever. I'm like, at the end of the day, if you zoom out to the fact that I believe we are eternal souls, the little shit that's happening in the world today is just like, huh, that's an interesting part of the video game. I wonder if they're going to pass this level, you know? So, um, that's just kind of how I look at it. But. I'm the same way. I was thankful. My mom passed away to psychedelic ceremony mm. and I was with her. Mm. She kind of told me that the codes of the secret world. And she was like, this is just a, a blip. Yeah. She was like, there's, there's so much more after this. She was showing me her, her stuff. And, oh, cool. And my, she'll show my whole future too, but she was like, this is a fucking blip. Basically, yeah. like you're gonna, it's like you know, in those movies where they have maybe like the, not the Matrix, where you have like a AI machine on, and you die, and you wake up like, oh, what the fuck was that shit? That's yeah. what she kind of tells yeah. me that she she showed me that just like this, it's, it's a little, hard, it's a right? little blip. Even though it's so, so much suffering here, it's, it's it's still a little blip. Well, and it's and it's it's the animal side of us, the limbic system and the amygdala that are getting lit up by all of the stuff that's happening in our environment. That's like, no, we need to do this to survive and procreate and protect our tribe and all of that other stuff is what's getting stimulated right now. Um, so, yeah. How, how do you use that knowledge to not suffer so much? Like, when do you catch for, for your own journey? When do you catch yourself? Like, how do you protect yourself and not operating off that limbic system? Like, and with that awareness, like, how have you mastered that yourself? Because it's such a, I think it's probably the most useful tool anyone can have to have awareness over if that side of them is acting in that moment and how to not let that side of them control them. I think that, I think we have these aliens in our mind, these survival, I call it a survival alien that just yeah. wants us to survive and do all these egoistic things and that, why I love Buddhism is that it's like basically creating a mind outside of that, that one evolutionary, mm. uh, you know, biologically advancing minds. How do you do it? How do you tame that, that side of your head? And, and I had to go through, that's been the, the, the hardest and longest part of actually my healing journey is, is mold causes an overstimulation of the amygdala and the limbic system and to the point where I went and got an MRI and uh, your amygdala actually grows in volume as a component of your brain. It gets so like a muscle growing because it's being so, so used. Um, and so my system would see fear everywhere. It would be thoughts of like negative thoughts of what ifs all the time. Um, and thankfully there's some great programs out there that are designed to help you retrain that. Um, and so, uh, I, yeah, I've, I've gone through that over the last year and you know, the first step is just awareness. It's, it's having constant awareness of the thought that you're having and did the thought go to a place of fear and then immediately stop it and come back to the present and just be like, no, I'm safe. Look, like, look out the window, look at the, if you're driving the steering wheel, just notice the environment that you're in because the brain tends to go when it's in a state of fear, it's either going to the past or it's going into the future. It's never in the present if you're in a state of fear, right? You're reliving a fear, a fearful event of the past, or you're going out into the future and projecting a fearful event that might happen in the future, but you're not right now in the moment. And so you have to bring your brain out of the past or out of the future, back to the present. Again, noticing, taking an inventory of the environment, looking at the trees outside the sky. Um, and then, uh, you know, a tool, a friend, you know, taught me to use, which is really effective. Is just saying, am I safe now? And then ask that question. You're like, look around like, yeah, I am. 
and then count to three. You know, one, two, three. Am I safe now? I am. Count to five. Am I safe now? Count to seven. And about the third or fourth time you get to that, you know, time to 10, you'll feel yourself shift. You'll be back in the present. You'll feel safe. Your saliva glands will probably have activated because you'll be in parasympathetic and it will interrupt that pattern. And if you don't interrupt that pattern, then that, that mental pathway gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, right? Till you're seeing again, the fearful stuff everywhere. And you're never in the present. You're always in the past or you're always in the future. And so Number one, have to be aware that you're having those thoughts. Number two, you have to interrupt it, come back into the present, and then that tool will help you do that. And a great a great course if someone's really suffering from this, because this is the cause of fibromyalgia. This is the cause of chronic fatigue. This is the cause of chemical sensitivities. Um, all of these autoimmune things, are autoimmune conditions are responses from an overactive limbic system. And uh, primal trust is uh, the, the course that, changed my life and that best education I've gotten, best course I've gotten. And if anybody's dealing with anything like that and you're having physical symptoms, it is ironically um, caused by a, a, a dysregulated nervous system rather than there's something wrong with you physically. So when you get triggered now, you feel like you've, you've mastered it. Like if you're in a state of just like uh, fear and, and you feel like you've gotten to a point where you can well, it's return to yourself pretty fast. I don't, I don't, I don't get into a, f- personally, I don't get into a fear state. Um, but I get into an alert, let's just say over sympathetic overdrive, right? Like adrenalized state readiness, but not like scared for me. Um, but, uh, but I still, I still have to, practice that on a daily basis, but it's getting better and better and better, um, you know, every week, every month. And it literally just comes down to rewiring your neural pathways and that, that takes time and, and, uh, psychedelics can help you do that faster, but you have to make sure that you're, if you're going to use psychedelics, right, you're creating a neuroplastic state. Um, that's why integration is so important and education around this is so important. If you put yourself in a psychedelic state, ketamine or MDMA or whatever mushrooms, and then, you come out of that and put yourself back into an environment that is triggering a fear response of some kind, then that's going to get rewired in even hard, harder, right? As the clay of your brain starts to, to harden and the neuroplasticity starts to, to go away, it's like, well, how's it going to reform? How are those neural pathways going to reform? And you want them to do it, obviously, in a, a healthier way, not a, an unhealthier way. And that's a, a lesson I really learned the hard way during my mold journey is when I was living in that that condo downtown where the mold was, and I didn't know there was mold in it yet, I went and did nine ketamine IVs uh, on the recommendation of a friend who had similar symptoms and a similar experience, and that's what helped her heal. Um, so I would go and have this ketamine IV, and I would get in this really neuroplastic state. And unfortunately, it would come right back into the environment that was causing the response, the fear response in the first place. And uh, I think that ended up doing more harm than good because... I'd come back really plastic, go into a toxic environment that's killing me and stimulating the fear response in my brain, and it would solidify in that even more. So that sucked. That really. Sucked. What's the correct way then to, to integrate after psychedelic? Like, what do you? How would, you how would you recommend someone to create the correct environment and conditions to actually benefit off of the healing experience and not double down on something negative? Um, well, again, just just uh, I think having oh, training 
psychological training of some kind to begin with, like going through and learning, uh, going through like a week of NLP training would be highly, highly beneficial. Learning timeline therapy would be highly beneficial. Having a coach is a must have. So you can come out of that session and talk through what you experience for at least an hour or two with somebody is incredibly important. But making sure more than anything is that you're coming back to an environment that's supportive of your healing journey and not, not unsupportive, right? Um, not going and doing a psychedelic session because you're in an abusive relationship and then coming back to the home where you have an alcoholic spouse that's going to threaten you again and put you in a fear sense, right? So I think controlling the environment, we talk about controlling the container during your session. What container are you going back to immediately after the session? Because you're in that state for, you know, three, good three, four, five days afterward. And so, yeah, control the environment that you're coming back to is a big one. Even outside of psychedelics on a healing journey, like one of the best moves I made was I had to leave home. I just mm. couldn't, you know, nothing. I love my family, but it just was so many old patterns and, and you know, they, they haven't done healed their stuff, unfortunately. And it just would, going back to the environment all the time, would bring up the same things in me that I couldn't heal myself properly if I was mm. constantly seeing them. Also, old friend dynamics. I really think it's beneficial to, even outside of psychedelics, just to create space from all the things in your life that were causing your issues just to kind of give yourself space to have a new direction, to, to feel yeah. different, to not be constantly yeah. bombarded by triggers that you you struggle with. Like I, I grew up in San Antonio and that's when I went through all of my, my bullying in middle school and high school. And so every time I would go back for Christmas or whatever to visit my, my parents who live there, I would immediately go back to those memories, right? Going back to the traumatic events of the past. And I just hated it. I hated going back there. Um, so first and foremost, I moved, which was good because I'm not being constantly reminded of driving by my school every day or whatever. Um, but uh, but that was a good barometer too during my healing journey, which was, am I still getting triggered when I go back to, to that town? And in the beginning I was, and now uh, at this point, you know, not so much anymore because I've, I've done a lot of forgiveness work around all of that stuff and those people. So um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's... It's a good test. Yeah. Like I won't get as much triggered now, but I just don't feel 100% like myself. I just don't feel as good as I would normally at 100%. home. You know, it's, it's still the same way. I yeah. still, there's still something there around that city that I don't enjoy because I still have those memories. Yeah. Um, and I would never live there. And it's not anywhere near as bad as it used to be. Yeah, I just think it's energetically too. If I go to my childhood bedroom, I just feel mm. just like I'm just not like triggered, but I feel all the energy of me when I was. Yeah suffering for so long you know, interesting stuck in that place yeah maybe you can do like a clearing there and see if it shifts the energy in it yeah in terms of i want to go into the parenting piece a bit did you have were you were your kids were your dad before before all the mold yeah okay yeah how did you change the dad as a father after all that um you know much more present much more patient much more understanding much more uh, you know able to have conversations uh, with patients and understanding rather than like do this because I told you so right which is kind of kind of how I grew up in that in that scenario uh, and I had phenomenal parents but they didn't have the information or the tools that we have today and so um, you know that'd be it just able to be present um, for that good three or four period I mean I couldn't do anything with him other than uh, you know, pick him up from school on the days that I had him, which was just two days a week and lie on the couch all day and watch movies. That's all we did for three or four years, you know, while I was going through that, that healing process. So, you know, survival. Yeah. Yeah. I, I 
also curious about the piece of because <clears throat> my dad he was kind of like a not abusive at all he was amazing in many ways but he just was very kind of <clears throat> hands off mm-hmm. in the sen- <clears throat> sorry in the sense of like he could only love himself if he was perfect mm-hmm. and making a lot of money and performing mm-hmm. at a high level and he didn't intend it but he then only would kind of give me that level of love if I match those standards mm-hmm. you know if I did really well, really well at school <clears throat> got amazing grades you know scored all the all the points in the basketball game and it wasn't intentional but then I internalized it as mm-hmm. I'm only worthy of love and perform mm-hmm. and that led to me being obsessed with being good at school mm-hmm. wanting to go in that system so how how do you are you aware of that with yourself and, and your kids like when were you doing that when you were kind of an entrepreneur were you kind of giving them that conditional love based on their own success like how have you shifted that now towards where they can feel maybe oh my dad loves me unconditionally mm, yeah luckily uh, luckily you know, we, we've never really had that dynamic with the kids. So, um, you know, we have some decent expectations as like, Hey, are you doing your homework? Are you performing? You're taking care of your room and your body and brushing your teeth and like kind of all of that stuff. But, you know, fortunately our kids are just really good kids. Like maybe that's the way we've raised them. Maybe we got lucky, but, um, we've never, never once had to punish our kids in 12 years never once been sent to the room never had to have anything taken away like never had to raise her voice at him or yell like zero ever do you have any awareness as to why you think that is like what you could be doing different that others aren't uh we're just talking to them with with patience and understanding we're not telling them what to like we'll tell them what they need to do but we'll tell them why uh, and i think one of the the biggest mistakes that parents make is to like go clean your room, go brush your teeth, go do this. And at that point, it's just an order and you're setting yourself up for conflict because nobody likes to be told what to do. Nobody likes to have their autonomy taken away by another individual. I don't, it doesn't matter what age you are. Nobody enjoys that. And so what we'll do is we'll just communicate why that's important for them to do. Hey, you need to go, you know, brush your teeth because if not, this is what's going to happen. There's bacteria in your mouth and it's going to start to overgrow and it's going to form this yellow stuff called plaque. That's going to cause something called gingivitis. It's gum disease. And if you don't do that, then here's the consequences of that, right? And your teeth start to decay and you have to get a cavity and there's this drill involved and it really sucks and it really, it's really painful. So we can do that. If you don't want to brush your teeth, that's where you're going, or we can just go brush your teeth, right? And so we're just empowering them with the knowledge as far as why they should be doing these things and how it's going to benefit them. And it's kind of like, hey, if you keep eating sugar and candy, here's what's going to happen to your body. It's going to, you're going to end up having diabetes. Third of Americans almost today have diabetes. Do you know what that is? No. Okay. Well, here's a video. What happens when you get diabetes? Here's what insulin resistance is. And when you get this, here's what's, here's what happens is you have to get this little thing and poke your finger five times a day and draw a thing of blood and measure that. And then you have to get a needle and poke that in your belly four or five times a day for the rest of your life. You still want to eat all that candy? Or do you want to do that, right? So that's how we talk to them is it's empowerment through education and information. So yeah, in that, I kind of noticed this um, respect. I think that parents believe that they get more respect by being demanding and assertive, but it almost leads to more disrespect because the kid gets kind of like negative towards them. Like they feel like it's the separation. But what you're saying builds respect because you're, it kind of, oh, this person actually understands me. He's trying to educate me. He loves me. That 
being kind and compassionate with education and you know good observations is what leads to respect. Right. I think when I ha- I'm, in, I'm in households, it's always weird in a household where, unfortunately, my family members are like this that in there just coughing all the time. I was arguing, and it's like the kid doesn't respect the mom, and it's just like fuck you, mom, and don't go out late. Like oh, it's like, oh all, this, all this shit. Yeah, and it's just disrespect. Like no one respects each other. Yeah. So you kind of believe that the way you're communicating builds respect in that in that lens that your kids respect you more because of the way you communicate with them. Yeah, and that's not necessarily the intention. That might be the yeah. byproduct. Um, I just know that when, when I was told what to do as a kid and it was just like, do this. I'm like, why is cause, cause I said so like, that was like a giant F you, like it just pissed me off and it made me really resentful. Yeah. Um, and, and yet I realized that I was always open to learning and information. And if I was just taught what was in it for me to take that action, have that behavior, I probably would have been like, cool, man, I'm in sign me up, you know? So that's just the philosophy we, we brought to it. Yeah. I want to. Go a little, you turn and hit one last topic that um, I think one of the ways out is for more conscious entrepreneurs that or, who are leading from a place of love and, and trying to, you know, I think, you know, the system is based off offering services to people. And, and if mm-hmm. the services benefit society, it's good. So what's a blueprint you can create for people who are like us, who think like us, who need to make money, but don't want to fall into the whole matrix way of, of you know, operating off of greed and, and all that kind of stuff. How would, what would you say to an entrepreneur who's trying to operate consciously and how to succeed in the system? How to bring light to a dark system and still succeed? I mean, I would say, I believe most entrepreneurs are, I would say conscious and wanting to do the right thing by default, because that's the only way you, well, it's not the only way, but it's the most common way you succeed and make money is by helping other people and being of service, right? Yeah. What I think where the system starts to break down is when, the product of the service you're providing is not to the highest benefit of the consumer, meaning the food industry is the, is the biggest example that comes to mind. Pharma, you know, well, just food and pharma, you walk in HEB and I won't eat 95% of the food in in HEB, maybe the produce section, but that anything else I'm not eating. Even the produce, Um, full glyphosate, all all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They've got a, they've got a, a somewhat of an organic section, but, um, you just look at all of those companies, Procter and Gamble and and Nestle, and uh, you know there's like five or six companies that produce 80, 90 percent of the products on their shelves, and they make people sick, and they're doing it intentionally. And the way the reason I say that is because you can look at the same exact product made in Australia or the United Kingdom, and it has just whole food ingredients. Might have like five or six, seven ingredients in the product. Um, there's no chemicals or anything artificial in them. Same exact product in the United States, 30 ingredients, half of, you know, majority of its chemicals and additives. Why do you think that this happened in the U.S.? Uh, my conspiracy theory is that, um, you know, the, the ag industry and the pharma industry got and the health medical industry got together, uh, you know, decades ago. And they're like, hey, if you make your food full of these toxins, it's going to make the people sick. That's good for our profit margin. And you know, it's good for his profit margin. So, yeah, let's just do that. And um, I don't think there was enough history or tradition here in the United States to teach the the values of, of good quality food like they have in Europe, let's say France or, you know, uh, the United Kingdom, where they really value the quality of their ingredients in their food. I don't think we had that ever here in the United States. Um, and we really grew up with consumerism, right. And innovation and, um, those values were missing. And so, yeah, so that's where entrepreneurship can go dark, where it's, 
you compromise the quality of the product in order to maximize profits at the expense of the consumer. And that might be good for your bottom line as a company, but it's but if it's causing harm to them, that's a shitty situation. And ultimately that comes down to personal values. So it's a, it's a tough line because, you know, once you're in that system of, of, you know, the capitalist system, I'm against it, but it just, once you're in that mode of, of, cause it's the way the system works. So once you get more money, you get more, you feel like you're worth with more power, more validation, more women, more nice things. You, you're like a better part of the system. And that makes you want to have more and more and more to satiate the same need. And to satiate that need, you have to grow larger and larger and the, the hole gets bigger. Why I'm saying that is that, you then go to lengths you wouldn't have normally gone to to make the larger profit. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, again, it comes down to is the, is the motivation toxic or is it healthy? Yeah, you know that that just comes down to doing your own your own personal work. So yeah, it yeah. just that, that, that's the key right there. Just making people have that awareness to do the, the personal work. Yeah, that's the only way through. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's we're getting there, but it's it's tough. But I want to you know thank you so much for coming on and, yeah. and modeling that. That's so beautifully is that you know you came from that system of, you know, being that kind of entrepreneur and then shifting all the way out, giving people hope that it can be done. It can't exist. So thank yeah, you, man. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and again, I think it's, I think it's at least in the entrepreneur circle, that kind of work is becoming incredibly common, you know, thankfully. And entrepreneurs are the risk takers. They're the open-minded people who will dive in and, and, and head down new paths, new directions. And, and I think that's why our industry is kind of, popularize this, uh, this, these different methods of healing and why they've become so pervasive. And those of us who've gone through it are benefiting from it and other people can see that. And so they're like, sign me up next. And so, yeah, it's been a, a beautiful thing to, to witness. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Where can awesome. people, people find you if they want to learn more about you or, or yeah, just MikeDillard.com would be the place yeah. to start. So great. Thank you. Yeah. Man. Thanks. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening.